Good afternoon, good afternoon, or I should say good morning. Well, technically it's good luncheon. It's 12 o'clock, noon. You know, I guess that's considered afternoon in some places. But wherever you are, thank you so much for joining me. This is the lovely podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 58. And we're going to take a look at glass, molders, pottery, plastics, and allied workers international union. But first of all, I want to give a big shout out to my listeners, so let me go to my list here because you guys are awesome. I'd love to see you here online. So a big shout out to Washington, British Columbia, Florida, Indiana, Oregon, New York, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania. Hey Pennsylvania, how you doing? Good to see you. Texas, our lovely neighbor to Oklahoma and then Virginia. You know what's cool is that I can see how many people are listening from all over the world and it's really neat to see like the states when they move up and when they when they surpass somebody else it's almost like a horse track race you know you're you're just cheering on Virginia or Texas or Pennsylvania and you're like just go for it go for it kind of thing <laughs> so it's good to see you guys i love it but let's go ahead and take a look here at this um international union so because it's international that means they have locations in multiple places so it was founded in 1842 they are headquartered in media pennsylvania They have locations in the United States and Canada. As of 2013, they have 27,864 members. Their key person is Leo W. Gerard. He is international president and he would be an international president because they have locations in Canada and the United States. And that concerns me right off the bat when it is an international union because it makes me think the United States is just being used for money because I mean Canada they don't have as much population as we do they don't make as much money as we do and it's because they don't have a large population like the United States but also they are socialists and what it reminded me of was I remember working this one job I guess you could say I was working at a software company but I worked at the front desk I took a job as a receptionist with the plan and the promise that I would be promoted into an engineering department because I was going to be working as a technical writer but they were going through some some kind of transition within the company and then lo and behold we get bought out and merge you know mergers are a joke it's really just a buyout whoever has the more money or the most money and then the layoff started so my job was put on a freeze so what's interesting is that you know I worked as a, a front desk receptionist so I was the person that would be the first individual that you would meet for this business And I just want to give a big shout out to receptionists and anyone that works in an office position where you deal with the public because we and sometimes we get treated like dogs. <laughs> we really do. And it's horrible because you know what's interesting is that whenever someone disrespects the the receptionist, I don't do business with them. Because if they only think they have to be nice to the people that make more money, then that tells me I don't want to work with them. I don't want to do business with them. But anyway, um I was working as a front desk receptionist. And I I got bored up there, so I started reading books. And I told them, I said, "You got to give me something to do up here. My my brain is turning to mush. It's horrible up here. Give me something to do." Because I wasn't hired to do receptionist work. I was actually hired for way more money and way more opportunity. So I actually started doing more work up there at the front desk. I was actually helping with uh, licenses and software, um, technical writing, things like that. So just FYI, just because. There's a woman sitting at a front desk and she is seen as the receptionist and she's answering phones and things like that. She's not an idiot, she's not a moron. She actually does a lot of work behind the scenes. Like basically the the receptionist is the nucleus of your company. 
Most of the time, the president or the CEO doesn't have a clue what's really going on. If you want to know what's going on in your company, talk to your receptionist. They'll tell you. They see here. They see here, everything, everything, because we're up at the front and we see who comes, who goes, and we hear the conversations, which a lot of them I did not care to hear. And I remember this one job I was cursed at, and I was like, "You gotta be kidding me! You're gonna curse at me because you think I'm below you?" Mm-mm, kind of thing. Like it just really shows you how people. view different types of labor and like social status. I don't like you got to be kidding me. Look, a job is a job. Like I don't care what the job title is. I show up to work, I do my job, I do it well. Well, here's where I was going with this story was I was working at this company and I was working as a front desk receptionist and we had this huge TV in the lobby and I hated it. It was just constant ruckus, constant racket and I was forced by my boss who was an idiot. She was not very kind. In fact, she was a liar and she was horrible. But anyway, Um, I was forced to keep the television on, and the only channels that we were allowed to have it on was the news, and I hated it because I don't like watching the news, especially during that time because Obama was in office and the news just wouldn't shut up about him, whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever. You know, I, I'm a Republican capitalist, as you know, but I think regardless of who's president, you need to be kind and respectful. Yes, you should report the news. Yes, you should report fraud and. Things going on are not that great because we, the American people, have a right to know. But I just got sick and tired of the bickering and the bantering on these news stations. So um, I couldn't stand watching MSNBC or um, what was the other one? Oh, Fox News. Oh my goodness. And I am conservative, but these people are like conservative on caffeine or Red Bull or, or, or cocaine or something or methamphetamine. I mean, they are crazy on that news station. It was, I mean, on the hour, every hour, it's like there's always a panic, like news alert, news alert. I'm just like, yeah, you work on a news station. Could you please be calm and not create hysteria? That would be great. But anyway, I remember this one news story that really broke my heart in regards to Canada. There is this young girl. She's probably in her early 20s or mid 20s. She was fighting cervical cancer, and she had already had to have her head shaved, and she was doing chemotherapy. And here's the thing: she was denied a Pap smear repeatedly for years in Canada, where she lives, where she's from. And because she was denied medical treatment, cervical cancer started and grew, and uh, now she's fighting for her life. And so I don't even know if she's alive anymore, but she had to come to the United States to get medical treatment. Because socialized medicine only only cares about the young and the healthy. But let's say you're young and you're not healthy, and cancer starts to grow, something like that. Then they kind of just throw you away. Like they didn't want to pay for cancer treatment, all this stuff. It was really quite sad, and I felt so sorry for. Her. And my mouth just dropped because we hear great things about Canada, how great a country it is. Oh, it's beautiful. It's large. You know, there's a lot of space up there, and. You know, supposedly Canada is better than the United States. Like, no, it's not because Canada is known. At least we have known the United States for years that if ever there's a draft or if you don't want to serve in the military, you can just go to Canada because that's where cowards go. Like, if you don't want to sign up for the draft, which is sad to say that, but that's just what Canada is known for. Because Canada is not known for fighting. Like the United States is known for fighting. Like we're the ones that are kind of like the policemen of the world, right? Which I can't stand that because you would think that other people would want to defend themselves, but I guess not. 
But anyway, I just remember this story about this girl. I thought, how sad is that? Like, she should have been getting pap smears since she was 18 and get them every year. But unfortunately, within socialized medicine, what they try and do is they try and limit health care every chance that, that, that they can get. They just want to limit it. So what they do is they find these studies that say, oh, you don't need a pap smear every year. You can just get one every three years. Now it's every five years. Now it's every seven years. I'm like, do you realize... Like, how many cells have been produced by that time? Like, our body is constantly producing cells. So, you know, getting a pap smear once a year is what, it, what, what the, how do I word this, what the standard used to be. Because so much can happen in a year. Like, we produce millions of, of cells a year. So doing just a simple pap smear of the cervix and getting a pelvic exam done, like, this girl... Her, her illness could have been completely treated from the beginning. If she had been getting a pap smear every year, what would have happened is it would have come back abnormal cells, like squamous cells or whatever they're called. And then they would have done either, um, I can't remember if it's a laser treatment, or they do something to the cervix to basically burn off the first layer. And it doesn't hurt because the cervix... It, it doesn't have a lot of pain receptors. If you go before the cervix or behind the cervix, yes, it's excruciatingly painful. You know, like, for example, childbirth. But the, the surface of the cervix is actually quite sturdy. Like, it's very tough. And the reason for that, again, is because childbirth, that's just how women are naturally built. Well, all they had to do was swab it and then send those cells off to a lab which is easy peasy, take a look at the cells, see what they look like. If it's abnormal, then you follow up, I think, in four months or six months. If they're still abnormal, and they grade them, just like there are different stages of cancer, they grade the cells. They look and see, okay, how far gone is this mutation, basically? Are there cells growing on the surface of the cervix that they shouldn't be growing there? They, they actually should have been destroyed by the immune system. You see, here's the thing. People don't realize that cells, they have a natural life cycle. So certain cells live a certain amount of time, and then they are supposed to commit cell suicide, basically. They, they deactivate themselves, and then the immune system sends out cells, whether T cells, B cells, lymphocytes, whatever the case may be. There's a whole, bit, a whole different set of cells within the immune system. that they go out and they gobble up all these cells that are supposed to be dying or that have died. And basically the immune system is basically your, um, kind of like your garbage truck drivers is, is what's like they, they, they collect the debris basically. Well, when you have cells that are over replicating, meaning mutating, they're becoming cancerous. That's what cancer cells are. Cancer cells are cells that did not commit cell suicide. They did not die. So they just kept over-replicating, over-duplicating, and just uncontrollably. Like they mutate at a way quicker rate than a normal cell. So that's why it's important to do these diagnostic tests and something as simple as a pap smear. So needless to say, this girl um, needlessly basically got cancer because socialized medicine turned their back on her. And I'll never forget that. And it was really sad. And so she had to spend thousands of dollars to come to the United States to get medical care because Canada would not treat her, which was so cruel. 
See, that's the lie about socialized medicine. Oh, it's free health care for all. It's not free. It's taken out of your taxes. It's taken out of your taxes. So the more people you have on the so-called free health care system, the more taxes are taken out of your paycheck. Here's the other problem with that. With socialized medicine, it only wants to spend money on the healthy. Well, guess what? Medicine is not for the healthy. Medicine is typically for people that have an illness. And there's also preventative medicine. We'll see under socialized medicine, they limit preventative medicine hoping that either A, you won't get sick, or B, you'll just die off, and then they won't have to spend money on you. And you're probably thinking, well, why would any system do that? Greed. Greed. You have all these medical bureaucrats that whether they have an MD or PhD or a DO or whatever the case may be, or these um, administrators, we talked about that horrible, evil title in a previous podcast about administrators. These people are evil, wicked people because they, they love money just like anybody else, and they get paid a lot of money to be professional paper pushers and basically to let people die. When you're talking about health care and insurance companies and Medicare, Medicaid, things like that, especially in socialized medicine. So what happens is within socialized medicine, you have people that are put in charge of your health care, even though you're the one paying for it. And then they dictate to you, oh, well, this study came out, so you really don't need to be tested for that. Um, actually, you do need to be tested because science doesn't lie. See, here's the thing. They use science against people when we are supposed to be using science for the betterment of people, not for limiting people, not for the death of people. And a good example of not getting adequate health care in a timely manner was this one girl. She was um, kind of an English hick. She was over in England. She was on a reality TV show, and I can't remember her name, but she got diagnosed um, with cancer as a young woman as well in her 20s, and uh, she died from it. When here's the thing. All of those cancers are preventable, and they are easily detectable. Like if you catch them in like stage zero or stage one, maybe even stage two, it's completely avoidable. Like all you do is you get treatment, and it's done, it's over with, and you don't have to worry about it again. But if you let it go too far too long, that's when you have these really bad problems, and then these people die. So I remember seeing that story And I just thought, wow, I wish more people would, would open their eyes to the dangers of socialized medicine. You know, the only thing that socialized medicine wants to pay for is birth control, abortions, and uh, antibiotics. Pretty much everything else it doesn't want to pay for. Why? Because it costs money. And, you know, it's kind of like... You know, socialized medicine is great if you're, well, it's not, it's not great ever, but it's better for people that are young and never get sick. Well, well, what happens when you start to age? You know, you need better health care. You know, you need to do more preventative screening to catch stuff earlier. But you see, here's what socialized medicine does. They get these administrators, quote unquote, these professional medical bureaucrats. Some of them might be MDs, which I'm sorry, if you're a doctor And you think it's okay to let someone die? You're evil. You should go to jail. You should go to prison for that. Because that's manslaughter. And if you're being horrible to your patients, you should go to jail. It may not be manslaughter, but it's pretty close to it. But no one calls these people out on it. No one calls them out on it. 
And it's really sad because they should be called out on it because they're getting paid with your tax dollars, whether you live in Canada or the United States. So whenever someone works in a government job, they're getting paid out of your paycheck, what you earn. So technically they work for you. You are their boss. This whole allowing the government to be in charge of of all medical care, that is creepy and it used to never be like that. But I think England, they became socialized medicine I think in the 50s or 60s. And then I think Australia, they started having socialized medicine in the 80s or 90s. And I'm shocked that Australia would ever do that. I'm just like, why would anybody vote for that and allow that? Because guess what? Australia is having a lot of problems with that. There are a lot of people dying in Australia because their government does not want to pay for life-saving treatment. So, you're probably wondering, what is this woman talking about? Why is she bringing this up? Okay, I bring this up because When you have organizations, whether they're labor unions, trade unions or professional organizations, whatever the case may be, whenever you are aligning yourself with another country that doesn't value human life the same way that you do, you can't really trust them. You can't trust them. Because you don't see human life as valuable in the same way. You're not equal. there's any equality between you. So, you know, I'm of the mindset, you know, I I read I read from my Bible and I am a a a Christian woman and you know, I love it when it says in Proverbs and I think also in the book of wisdom that you need to be careful who you make friends with. Because a friend A, a faithful friend it says is a sturdy shelter he who finds one finds a treasure well if you're making friends with people that think it's okay to limit someone else's health care what do you think they're going to think of you if ever you get sick you know i've learned i've learned that the number one people i do not get along well with or that are difficult to work with are people that don't value human life And these are typically crazy liberals. People that are pro-choice like to the extreme, they're pro-abortion. Um they um what's the other thing that they're for? Oh, well they're they're for eugenics like on a massive scale, which is very evil, very wicked because we know the Nazis did that. That's really horrible and and graphic. Um I've learned that when people are communist or fascist, you know, we just don't see eye to eye because like even in China, communist China, I they either still have the one child law or you now can have two children. Well, if you think about that, how do they limit population? Well, they sterilize their women. They force them to get sterilized. And if you have too many children, if they find out you're pregnant, They they have the police round you up and they force you to go to an abortion clinic and they force you to get an abortion. And then they sterilize you right there on the table. See, so here's the thing. If you don't agree with that, you shouldn't be doing business with someone like that. It's the same thing here like with this particular organization which we've seen multiple unions and organizations that they are quote unquote an international union. 
But the United States and Canada, we are nothing alike, and I'm so grateful for that. I mean, Canada is a beautiful place. They have wonderful people, but in terms of their social structure and their government, I don't agree with any of it. I don't agree with any of it because they're not a, they're, they're not truly free. They they live a lie thinking they have free medical care. It's not free. It costs money. I mean, it's like a whiny little kid. It's a spoiled, rotten little kid that thinks everything is free from his parents. Well, his parents had to work hard for that that toy or that car or that bike. But when people think about socialized medicine, like oh, free universal health care, it is not free. It costs money. Why don't you take a look at your hospital bill? Somebody has to pay for that, and it's not right to put that 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 ticket or the total of that tab on somebody else. It's not right to do that. There are way better ways to make things affordable. Another thing with Canada, it's not truly free. They're not really a democracy. They have socialized medicine. They're socialists, and they just they don't get it. They don't get it. I don't know how else to describe it, but they how word this. For some reason. And I went to college with some people that were from these socialized countries. They come to the United States for a quote-unquote better education, but I'm like, think about that. You had to come to the United States to get a quote-unquote better education. So that tells me you think and you know your schools suck. But they won't admit that. It's like, well, here's the thing. If you know your schools suck, then your country sucks. because your country is socialist. See socialists they they like to control information. People may not realize that but they are actually for suppressing the truth. Because socialists really love to believe in causes and agendas. Whereas when you believe in human rights and in freedom and in democracy and true liberty all these causes and agendas you don't need them because everybody's equal everybody has rights everybody has true freedom but these causes and agendas cause division and strife and then we wonder why we have all these problems and again you're probably thinking what does this have to do with this here's the thing when you're do, when you're doing business with someone you have to really think about Where are they coming from? What mindset do they have? Are they for me? Are they against me? Are they indifferent? Can they handle tough times, bad times, good times? Are they only there when the money's flowing in? See, cuz here's the thing. Socialists they use people for money, especially socialist governments. they use their own citizens for money. So that's why I always get very cautious whenever I see a quote unquote international union because the United States is still number 1 and thank goodness. Like, you know what I find interesting is when other countries put down the United States and I'm like, "Okay, hold hold that phone. Back up your train out of our station here. Let me let me let me show you the truth here. You little socialist, you fascist, you little communist. If it was if it wasn't for the United States, the 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 outcome of World War 1, World War 2 and all these other wars would would have been completely different and you would have chaos 
if the United States was not around and if we were not number one. Because we are the only country on this planet to really have true freedom. And the problem right now in our country is we have some crazy liberal nutbags that are trying to rip up our constitution, bully all the conservative states or even the moderate states in the United States. And they're trying to squash people's rights and take their rights away and limit them and make it seem like the government knows everything. Since when does the government know everything? I think we learned from Jimmy Carter and President Obama, excuse me, President Carter and President Obama that the government fails at so many things and horribly, so it should not be in charge of hardly anything because that's not it's not its job to run the country. We the citizens run the country. I can't tell you how many people I meet from other countries that come here to the United States and they're like, "Please don't change. Please don't become like our country wherever they're from." Like you do not understand how much freedom you have here. You do not want communism. You do not want fascism. You do not want socialism. You do not want Sharia law. They'll tell you straight up. So whenever people vote for these crazy liberals, and you know what? I love Democrats. I even love some liberals, but. when they're just too far out there i'm just like man like if you're not happy with the united states you're free to leave and you know what's interesting is that in a lot of these other countries that complain and kind of pick on the united states and say we're a bad country guess what they have stripped their citizens of so many of their rights that it is almost impossible for their citizens to leave their country that is sad so they don't have freedom of movement Well, we saw that in the USSR and the Soviet Union. It was a closed, secret society, and it was brutal to its own people. See, that's the thing: the, these causes, regimes, and agendas—they claim to care about people. They appeal to the masses, right? That they, they, they appeal to the common, everyday man, which would be you and me, thinking that we're going to fall for their lies. Because what they do is they just hit on a hot topic, a hot button. And then that's how they hook you. And they say, "Oh, yeah, you're oppressed. You're oppressed. You you should join our cause. You should join our group. We'll help you with that." See, here's the thing. You shouldn't have to join a cause in order for your voice to be heard because just by the very fact that you are a citizen of the United States, your voice is already equal to everybody else's. So you don't have to join a certain group just to be valuable or just to be valued as a person. You already have value. That's where these labor unions and trade unions and some of these professional organizations get extremely off track. Cuz really all they're wanting to do is to get numbers, membership. Because they know if they can get a bunch of people in their union, First of all, they have way more money, and then secondly, they have way more lobbying power. And number 3, they have an easier way of manipulating our legislation at a state level and a federal level. And that's where I get concerned because again, when you're dealing with an international union, you're dealing with other countries, their labor laws, their constitutions, 
their their rate of pay, their taxes, their exports, their imports. I mean, it, it's a whole different ball game. Like we I don't understand why these unions join with other countries like this. I love Canada. There are things about Canada that I love and I've met some Canadians that are absolutely wonderful. But we're not the same. We are unique. See, whenever you have these unions aligning with themselves with other countries, they're trying to create that false ideology of utopia for all. Utopias do not exist. They never have and they never will. That doesn't mean we can't strive for common ground. That doesn't mean we can't strive for peace and unity. Those are great things to have. But what I find very interesting is that whenever you have these organizations that join with other countries like this, we tend to lose our individuality. And it's almost always the United States that gets shamed and blamed. Why? Because we have it great here. We make way more money than the majority of the planet. We have way more freedoms than the majority of the planet. That's why the rest of the planet pretty much is jealous of the United States. So recognize when you're dealing with someone who's envious of you. That's my point. There is greed everywhere on the face of this earth. It is not just in Wall Street. In fact, most of the greed on this planet is not in Wall Street. It's elsewhere in places that we never think to look or acknowledge. And I'm saying this from an accounting point of view and from a from an auditor point of view. Because it's the places where people are not looking. That's where you're going to find most of the problems and that's where you're going to find a lot of shadiness. I mean just think about how regulated and overregulated our banks are and Wall Street is. They're overregulated. And right now in the United States, I mean I've seen some videos online about this. I hope it's not true, but I I can kind of tell that it is. We're dealing with inflation right now in the United States. And it's hell. Look at the price of milk, bread and gasoline. Basic necessities of life. Basic That is unacceptable. I mean, it's it's like we're experiencing Jimmy Carter part 2. I don't remember inflation being this bad during Obama Obama's years. I mean, I could be wrong. I just remember that he did a lot of funky stuff and uh he was just kind of used as a puppet for all the secret crazy liberals in Washington. I mean, he was just kind of young and dumb. very much so. He was completely incompetent for the job. Obama was. And so was Jimmy Carter, but especially Obama. But sadly, he was elected, but it's like, well, you know, believe me, I pray for my leaders. Whoever is president of the United States, I pray for them. It doesn't matter whether I like them or not. I pray for them. I pray for their safety. I pray that they make good decisions and that they help the United States first not other, not other countries we are not responsible for other countries and other citizens we are not that that's not what we're here for the united states was not founded to be a personal piggy bank for everybody else you know maybe some people you know if they don't like the united states you need to read about the history of the united states You need to watch some documentaries and good documentaries, not these crappy ones. Excuse my language. You need to watch the good ones that are realistic, that are not jaded, that are not slanted towards conservative 
or liberal either way it's just right down the middle this is the truth this is the founding of this country these are the people that helped to found it like just, you know people forget how to look at things from a historical point of view historical points of view are supposed to be unbiased because you you know when you're dealing with historical data you can't argue whether or not something happened or not because you know it happened It's kind of like, you know, let's say for example, you and I go to Taco Bell to have lunch. So we go to Taco Bell. Then someone 3 years later says, "Well, I don't think you really did go to Taco Bell with so and so." And it's like, "Yeah, we did." No, I'm just going to deny the fact that it ever happened because I'm biased. No one says it like that, but that's really what it is. You didn't really go to Taco Bell. So I'm not going to believe it. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe. Me and this individual really did go to Taco Bell and had a nice lunch. And here's the thing. Let's say I still have the receipt 3 years later, which of course I would not. But be like, "Okay, here's the receipt." If you're the type of person to deny historical data and to deny history, you're the type of person to look at that receipt and go, "No, it didn't happen." And you just look and I would just look at you and be like, "Are are you crazy?" This actually did happen. Me and this individual really did go to Taco Bell and have a nice lunch. I even remember what combo I got. I usually get is it three soft beef tacos, not the supreme because it's too much sour cream even though I love sour cream. I usually get three soft tacos and a large Dr Pepper. That's the combo I get almost every single time. And if I don't do the combo, I usually get one soft beef taco and one bean burrito and a small Dr Pepper. I'm very much creature of habit with that. But my point is this. If people don't like the United States, you need to leave. You need to find another country to go live in. Because what really sucks for people that love the United States, which includes myself, is when people stay here and ruin it for the rest of us. It's like you're ruining someone else's birthday party. It's like if you don't want to help celebrate someone's birthday, then don't show up to the party and don't complain about the gift that you bought them. If you even bought them a gift. Like I think some people need to read Miss Manners or Dear Abby about how to behave appropriately. Because I think that applies to so many things in life. You know, not only where we live, where we work, how we work, and how we vote. Because I look at it this way. You know, if ever I moved to Canada, which I wouldn't be opposed to that, because they do have some good companies up there and I know some good people up there, but if ever I moved to Canada, I would know going in, hey, it's a socialized country. They have socialized medicine. I'm probably not going to like every little thing, but I will find something to like. I will find something to enjoy and I will be grateful for the opportunity to move there and work there. and I'm not going to use it as an opportunity to just browbeat people about their socialism. It's like, well, you know, if if someone wants to know the truth, they can ask me about it or they can research it on their own. But unfortunately, we have people here in the United States that like to bully other people. You're going to believe what I want you to believe. And it's like, no, that's not the American way. 
We have freedom here. We have liberty here. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with international unions, you lose more and more of your liberty over time. Because again, you are aligning yourself with a foreign entity. Like I don't know why I don't know why other countries would want to ally themselves with us. If they don't like our democracy, they don't like our system, but they they love our money. That's why they align their themselves with us. It's because they want our money. Like I'll give you an example. Like whenever I hear like Canadian uh, comedians, which most of them are awful, they're not really that good. They almost always say something horrible about the United States, even though most of their viewers are Americans. Especially if they're at an American venue. I'm like, really? So you basically just slap the face of all the Americans in the crowd. This is why we still think your your country sucks. Because it does. Any country that limits its citizens' healthcare in any way is evil and wicked. And it's shameful. But you know what's sad? is the Canadian people they keep voting in a socialist they keep voting in bad people it's like well you know it's like you know that saying you get what you pay for well you get what you vote for and i feel sorry for the canadians that that can't stand socialism i feel sorry for them i truly do truly truly feel sorry for them so but needless to say When we're talking about international unions, red flags should always go up in our in our mind immediately. Because Canada especially has a lot of problems right now. So, here's the thing, whenever their country has problems, it typically tends to affect the United States in more ways than we realize. Cuz number 1, they are our neighbor. Number 2, we have a lot of unions that do way too much business with them. That's very concerning. And number 3, a lot of Canadians are still coming to the United States to get health care. So that tells me if if your citizens are having to leave your country to go elsewhere because of problems, that tells me literally you have a problem. That may sound extremely simple, but it is that simple. But let's go ahead and move on into this one. It says the Glass Molders Pottery Plastics and Allied Workers International Union is a labor union which represents about 28,000 craft and industrial workers primarily in the ceramics, china, craft metals, fiberglass, glass, insulation and pottery industries. It is one of the oldest unions in the United States with its first locals formed in 1842. And it talks a little bit about its history. It says in 1842, craftsmen in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, formed a glass blowers union that represented workers throughout the region. John Samuels was elected the first president. Several other local glass blowers unions joined the National Union, which adopted the name Glass Blowers League. The union represented workers who made soda lime glass or green glass. The new National Union slowly disintegrated over the following quarter century but glass blowers met again in 1866 and affirmed their affiliation to the glass blowers league and its 1842 constitution 
The reinvigorated union also changed its name to the Druggist Wear Glass Blowers League. That's interesting. Oh, that might be because I'm just guessing. But we forget that way back in the day, prescription bottles were made out of glass, not plastic. It says membership was largely centered in the states of New Jersey and Pennsylvania, then the center of the glass industry in the United States. The glass blowers faced a major challenge in the 1880s from a new union. The American Flint Glass Workers Union of North America (AFGWU), flint glass, commonly known as crystal, was made in closed pots to protect the glass from impurities, unlike green glass. And generally, the flint glass workforce was more highly skilled. Uh, we got some competition. Okay, the AFGWU formed in Pittsburgh in 1878, and within four short years had locals throughout West Virginia and Ohio, and was spreading east. Feeling threatened by the new union, the glass blowers waged several bitter jurisdictional strikes against the AFGWU in the 1880s and 1890s. I'm not surprised. We've got some turf wars going on here. The union's jurisdictional fight was an important one. Highly skilled workers like glass blowers made up 15% of the entire workforce, while 45% of American workers made just enough money in the 1880s. to be at or above the poverty line which is at that time was $500 a year another 30% made less than that that's sad a shocking 10% of all full-time workers made so little money they were considered absolutely destitute glass blowers however made 60 to 100% more than the average worker and were considered the cream of the working class so they don't have much to complain about it says the union was also confronting a diversifying glass industry So here's another thing. A lot of these unions they don't like change. Well, change happens. Get over it. Suck it up. So this is one of those things. So they're having jurisdictional battles. This is a trade battle basically because the industry is changing. Newer glass works tended to be better capitalized and paid workers better. Distinct differences between glass works in the East and West emerged, and the union created an Eastern and Western division in 1884 to accommodate these industry changes. The Eastern Division of the Druggist Wear Glass Blowers League dissolved in 1886 and joined District 149 of the Knights of Labor (KOL), while the Western Division dissolved in 1889 and joined KOL District 143. An independent union of glass blowers, the Western Green League, formed in Western Pennsylvania around 1880 but merged with the Knights of Labor in 1886 as well. Child labor and apprenticeships were major issues for the union in the 1800s or sorry 1880s as well. One in four workers in the green glass industry was a child. Now that may sound shocking to us, but see here's the thing: people needed money. The way we view childhood today is actually quite new and rare. Most kids did not go to school back during this time. And this was like all over the world. Like a lot of children did not go to school they worked everybody in the family worked so whenever you had these child labor laws that took place the family income drastically dipped down like it was drastically decreased now i'm not for child labor not by any means but we need to be careful about how we view things in regards to child labor and things like that because it was a different time because children being allowed to be children and having fun and playing at the park That's a relatively new phenomenon in terms of society and in terms of the human race. So just know that going in, okay? 
Apprenticeships in the green glass factories lasted four years, but the apprentice system was operated by the employers, who took on large numbers of apprentices in order to flood the market with skilled workers and thus put a downward pressure on wages. That's not true. Okay, here's the thing. Employers, they want more skilled workers. They want more people to be skilled. Not so they can drain people of their wages or put pressure on their wages. It's because they know that if there are more people that are skilled labor, then you increase the quality of your goods and your products. So this is kind of jaded here. That some people may believe that to be true, what was just said in that sentence, but that's not true. If it were true, then why would employers today, a lot of them want to require that you go to college? It's because you're more educated and you're actually worth more in your labor. You're not worth less. You're actually worth more. After the merger with the Knights of Labor in 1886, the Glass Workers Union struck to win control over the apprenticeship system. The Eastern District 149 demanded one apprentice for every 15 workers, but the Western District 143 accepted two. The strike lasted into 1887 and the Eastern District 149 glass blowers angry over the employer friendly stand taken by the Western District disaffiliated from the KOL. Employers instituted a lockout against the Eastern workers. At an employer union conference in 1887, a compromise was reached. The union not only won agreement on the apprentice issue, but also an industry-wide agreement setting uniform wages and work rules. The agreement even listed the physical movements all workers would be expected to do. That's kind of different, but it's a different time back then. In 1891, after four years of labor unrest, the two KOL glass blowers divisions merged to become the United Green Glass Workers Association of the United States and Canada. So right there, we're already aligning ourselves with Canada when we should not be doing that. That's just wrong. The glass blowers disaffiliated from the KOL in 1895. and formed a new independent union the glass bottle blowers association GBBA of the United States and Canada. Dennis A Hayes was elected the new union's president in 1896, a position he held for the next 3 decades. That's a problem right there because that's like a little mini dictatorship. That I mean he may have been a good person I don't know, but 3 decades, that's a problem. Imagine having a president be president for 3 decades in the United States. It's not right to do that. You know, we need to have a change of power, you know, because that's how you help your country and your business to grow. The GBBA affiliated with the American Federation of Labor AFL in 1899. This is the GBBA struck the glass blowing industry in a lengthy strike from April 8, 1899 to July 1, 1900 that led to the unionization of all but two glass plants. That's kind of sad. By 1900, the GBBA had 61 local unions and 4,300 members. The GBBA, with the consent of the American Flint Glass Workers Union (AFGWU), affiliated the Prescription Glass Blowers Department of the AFGWU. In 1906, one scholar of trade union activity noted that the GBBA tended to hold regional and national strikes. Well, that's probably a given. and only rarely struck individual employers. I don't know about that. If they're willing to strike anywhere, that's just kind of what they do. Disputes with the AFGWU did not end, however. Mechanization tended to eliminate the skill differences between flint glass and green glass workers, and the two unions clashed repeatedly 
over who excuse me over who should represent <coughs> excuse me over who should represent glass industry workers bottle and fruit jar manufacturing had long been green glass work but now the two unions entered into a bitter dispute over who should represent workers in this section of the industry so another turf battle when the american federation of labor afl ruled in favor of the gbba the afgwu disaffiliated from afl on january 30th 1903 why am i not surprised they get their feelings hurt they disaffiliate it's kind of like they they come they go they come they go it's it's just they get their feelings hurt as an independent union the afgwu tried to organize these workers but lacked the support and protection which the national trade union center gave the the gbba the afgwu reaffiliated with afl october 21 1912 after renouncing its claims to bottle and fruit jar workers so it's just more turf battles way more turf battles so then it talks a little bit about prohibition it says it says world war 1 proved to be a boon or maybe she a boon i don't know what that word is for the union Immigration from Europe to the United States almost came to a stop, eliminating a major source of cheap labor. Additionally, major production increases necessitated by the war effort led to significant wage increases, extensive overtime, and many new hires. But adoption of the 18th Amendment and passage of the Volstead Act led to nationwide prohibition in 1920. The need for glass dropped drastically, leading to major membership losses and wage decreases. Here's the thing though. If their industry had actually been safe and secure in terms of economy driven, then it wouldn't matter if there was prohibition or not. And if anything, I think it shows how weak your industry is. If a new law is passed and it's proving difficult to stay afloat. See, cuz here's the thing. Almost everything that was bottled back then was bottled in glass jars or glass bottles. So just the fact that there's less alcohol should not prove to destroy an industry because everything else is being bottled in glass. So it just kind of tells me they they really don't know how to up their game and they don't know how to I don't know go into the future and you know push forward into the future and lead in their industry. because if you're already strong in your in your industry then it shouldn't matter what laws are passed it shouldn't matter if there's changes in the industry if your work is good and true and you're keeping up with the times as they say then you should be able to keep afloat but obviously they did not like this so then let's see here it talks a little bit about their presidents I'll skip down to this it says here presidents of the union so it goes back to Samuel Sen- Samuel Simpson, he was president from 1876 to 1880, and then there's Lewis Arrington, Joseph D. Troth, Dennis A. Hayes, John A. Vol, James Maloney, Lee Minton, Newton W. Black, Harry H. Tooley or Harry A. Tooley, excuse me, James E. Hatfield, Frank W. Carter, James H. Rankin. Well, that's interesting. He was president from 1997 to 2004. Okay. John P. Ryan and then Bruce Smith. So that is very interesting there. So interesting union. And I skipped over um some of the jurisdictional battles and things like that 
because it's just them having tiffs. It's just continuous tiffs. And, you know, there's a little information about consolidations and things like that in the 70s and 80s. I would expect that to happen in the 70s and 80s, especially within the United States, because our industry changed a lot in terms of our economy and our labor force, because we have more and more women going into the workforce in the 70s. And then come the 80s, it's more kind of established and more seen as normal for women to be in the workforce and women they're still having to fight for equal pay and to be taken seriously but it's not as bad as in the 70s because i remember when my mom told me that when she went to go uh, interview for a job it like she went into the waiting room and you're waiting with all these other candidates and she was one of the few women i think it was like her and this other woman and everybody else was a man for this job and she knew she was not going to get the job because she wasn't a man I don't even know if she stayed and interviewed. I don't know. I don't remember that part of the story. But I just remember thinking what kind of crap, excuse my language, what kind of harsh realities my mother went through in the 70s dealing with discrimination and people not wanting to hire her. This was also a big problem. They didn't want to hire her because she's a woman. And they didn't want to hire her because she was a young woman, meaning she was of childbearing age because they didn't want to hire someone that was going to have a baby. Like it's kind of like a woman could never win. She goes to college, gets a degree, she applies for a job that she's obviously qualified for, but it's like, well, we're not going to hire you because uh, you're a woman. But then if they do want to hire you, it's like, well, if you're married, if you're single, we'll hire you. But if you're married, then you're more likely to have a kid, and we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to deal with you and your ovaries and your uterus. That's what it was like back then, and it was horrible. And it made it very difficult for women to find good-paying jobs that that could help them with their career because they are worthy of a career. But back during those days, especially in the '70s and back, it's like only men have careers, and it's like no, like I think. a lot of people forget about women that have owned companies going back several several years. You know, an example of a woman that owned a company is Estee Lauder, the makeup company. She started her own makeup company. She is she is an amazing woman. I mean, she has since passed away and her company has kind of gotten off track, but Estee Lauder, they own Clinique, MAC, and some other companies. But she she did amazing things. I mean, she really she put up with a lot from people. Cuz both men and women thought her place was in the home, but especially men. And she didn't put up with that. And thank goodness for that cuz just think about all the wonderful products that she invented. And just think about all the people that she employed and that her family still employs. Like it's thousands of people. Like she provides jobs for people. Even though she has since passed away, let me look her up. I'm trying to remember when she passed away. Amazing woman. Just amazing and just wonderful products. Let me read about her. Okay, let's see here. It says here the company began in 1946 when Estee Lauder and her husband Joseph Lauder began producing cosmetics in New York City. 
They first carried only four products, cleansing oil, skin lotion, super rich all-purpose cream, and cream pack. Two years later, in 1948, they established their first department store account with Saks Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. Do you realize how amazing that is for a woman to do that? That is amazing. And God bless her husband. He believed in her. He believed in her and supported her. And look at it this way. Let's see here. They are on the New York Stock Exchange now. They've been around like 76 years or so. Founded in New York City. Let's see here. They have skincare, makeup, and fragrance. Oh, and get this. Guess what their revenue was for 2020? You will not believe this. $14.29 billion. And guess how many employees they have. Oh, that was as of uh, 2020, excuse me. As of 2020, their revenue for 2020 was $14.29 billion. As of 2020... They had 48,000 employees. 48,000 people worked for Estee Lauder. That is amazing. And just think about it. If, if Estee Lauder, if she had never had an idea, I mean, just, how do I word this? Let me put it this way. Women are capable of so much more. than just being breeding machines. I mean, yes, it's beautiful for a woman to get pregnant, have a child, you know, have a baby, have a family. That's great, but women are so much more than that. They 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 think and do so much more. They have so many ideas. And that's not to downplay men by any means. Men and women both have God-given talent. But women sometimes we we get treated like dogs regardless of whether we are working as a receptionist or working in retail or sales or whatever the case may be it's like oh you're a woman you must not have a brain oh i guarantee you Estee Lauder had a brain and her husband believed in her i think more husbands should believe in their wives because i think if more men actually believed in their wives they would see amazing things happen in their marriage and their marriage would actually improve cuz look at it this way how would you like being married to someone that doesn't believe in you and just puts you down all the time and doesn't think you're capable of doing much because of your situation or because of what sex you are or what you've been through or just these these stupid preconceived notions that have nothing to do with the current moment so i challenge you If you're married and you're a guy, I challenge you to love and respect your wife like you have never done before and believe in her and ask her, "Hey, if you could own a company or you could invent something, what would you do?" And just ask her. She'll tell you. Women know this stuff. We think of stuff all the time. And if anything, I bet you'll be impressed with your wife. And you'll go, "Wow. She really knows her stuff at this." Or wow, I never knew my wife wanted wanted to do that. And here's the thing. If you really love and care about your wife, you might even want to invest in her idea. And I and I'm not saying that if you don't invest in her idea that you don't love her. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that 
when you when you believe in somebody and you see their vision you want to help them because I'll put it this way women help their husbands all the time they 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 I don't know how to describe it but women we just kind of we're kind of like the constant cheerleader sometimes and sometimes it would it would be nice to be cheered on on ourselves it would be nice to be given positive feedback from our significant other Cuz just think about it. if Estee Lauder did not have a kind husband do do you think she would have gone as far as she did I don't know I I don't think so personally and I certainly don't think that they would be making 14.29 billion dollars a year in revenue if her husband had not said hey I think that's a great idea let's do this Like she created a lot of this stuff in her house, in her kitchen. But see, here's the thing: a lot of men, they think, oh, you know, women just love makeup. No, they love a, a lot more other things. But you know, makeup. Look at it this way: makeup is making <coughs> the Estee Lauder family fourteen point two nine billion dollars a year. That's their revenue. So, next time your wife is putting on her makeup, why don't you think about how much money you could be making if you supported her in an idea that she has? If it's a doable and good idea. And I encourage you, if 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 ever your wife is going to the store called Ulta. Ulta is a makeup and cosmetic store and they also have skincare and uh shampoo and conditioner. Go with your wife. and just look around the store cuz I know men don't like to shop with women anyway but you should because you'll learn a lot about your significant other you will learn a lot about your wife and you'll pick up on things that she likes so then you will know what to get her for Christmas, Valentine's Day, anniversary and her birthday. You just got to open your eyes, that's all. Just be open open to what it is. But next time your wife goes to Ulta, go with her to Ulta. Look at all the cosmetic brands, like look at all the names. And then I encourage you look up those company names online like just do like one a week. Just look up one a week. I think there's one a makeup brand called Urban Decay. Amazing makeup brand. I love their eyeliners. I wish they stayed on better. But maybe, you know, it's just cuz my eyes water sometimes. But anyway, all those companies make a lot of money. And they employ thousands of people. thousands. So that means they are providing job opportunities for other people, these cosmetic companies. They're providing revenue, but also they are providing health insurance, benefit packages. So just because your wife has an entire drawer or a cabinet or whatever full of makeup and cosmetics and you just look and go, "Oh, she's wasting so much money." No, she's not. She's actually helping to keep this economy and this country afloat by investing in herself. And here's the thing. You know, men often complain about women not wearing makeup. And I'm like, "Really? So you complain about her buying makeup, but then you don't like it when she doesn't wear makeup?" It's like, "Make up your mind." And if you're not one of those guys, God bless you. If you're one of those guys that that loves your wife 
regardless of whether she wears makeup or not because you know she's already beautiful then god bless you 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 are a sweetheart and your wife is totally lucky to have you that's wonderful god bless you but if you're one of these um oh, i sigh if you're one of these guys that's like the the woman can't hardly do anything right i'm speaking to you and one of my eyebrows has gone up and i feel like i need botox now see cuz here's the thing You know, you go and spend money on your cars, your motorcycles, you know, your hobbies that cost way more than than a tube of makeup. That cost way more than an eyeshadow. You know, you you spend way more money on a fishing pole or a fishing trip than your wife does on a repair serum, and you're probably wondering what is a repair serum. Well, since you asked, A repair serum is what you put on after you wash your face, but before you put on your moisturizer. It actually sinks into the skin and it helps your skin to absorb moisture. It helps to repair the skin. It actually it's almost like a painting. You know like when an artist is priming their canvas, that's what a repair serum does. It's priming the skin, priming the skin, excuse me. to be able to absorb the moisturizer and it's also prepping the skin for when your wife puts on her foundation whether it's liquid or powder. So there is a process. So look at it this way. When your wife is using all these cosmetics and or skincare, it's no different than you knowing what kind of oil or what kind of parts to put in your truck or your vehicle. It's the same thing like you know what kind of oil you cannot put in your vehicle. You know, let's say for example, your your vehicle requires 89 octane, but yet you accidentally put in 85 or 87 or whatever. You know your vehicle is going to be feeling it, right? Men and women have different interests. So you're probably thinking, "Leslie, why are you bringing this up?" Here's why. Everybody has hopes and dreams. Everybody. And those hopes and dreams are there for you that God put in your heart so that you can be successful. Did you know that every single one of us can be millionaires and billionaires? Every single one of us. And you're going, "No way." I say, "Yes way." Here's how I know it's true. Because every single one of us has likes and dislikes, right? Okay? You need to go with what you like. What you enjoy in terms of your career. and what you want to do with your life because when you do what you like what you enjoy then it doesn't feel like work and if it doesn't feel like work it doesn't feel like labor and you will make so much more money because you're you're doing what you know and what you like like what you enjoy it's the same thing with Estee Lauder and her husband knew that about her he knew that she knew her stuff with makeup with skincare with perfume She would make this stuff in her kitchen. So he acknowledged the fact that hey, my wife knows her stuff and you know, hey, this might be a good business opportunity. You know, as people, we we often long for fellowship. I think we can both agree on that. Everybody longs for fellowship and community. One of the ways that you have fellowship and community is to support your spouse. talk about your hopes and your dreams and even if it sounds crazy look at it from a black and white yes and no kind of thing look at okay well how you know if we were to do that idea you have how much would it cost 
Let's research it. I have an idea for you. If your spouse has an idea, why not use that as an opportunity to go to dinner and have like a date night and just talk about it? You know, kind of have a, a brainstorm. You know, don't bring your kids with you. Have somebody babysit your kids. See, because here's the thing. If you have children, more than likely you've made it all about the kids. It's all about the kids. Guess what? It's not all about the kids. It's about the family unit as a whole. I've noticed in the United States, at least, we make it way too much. Oh, we've got to do it for the kids. Well, I'm sorry. If all you're ever doing it for is for the kids, does that mean when they reach 18 that they are no longer valuable and important? Because that's what it feels like as an adult. Whenever I hear people say, oh, we've got to do it for the kids, I'm like, no, we do this for people, regardless of their age, because we love people. We value all life, not just some life, but all life. No more divisions, people. No more divisions. We are all equal here. So if you're married, and I really want you to do this experiment. I really want you to talk to your spouse. If you're a man, talk to your wife. If you're a woman, talk to your husband. And just ask them, hey, if you could do anything and have your own business, what would you want to do? And even if it sounds crazy, nutty, unrealistic, impossible, guess what? The crazier and more impossible it is, the more fun it's going to be. the more of an adventure you're going to have and what an accomplishment it will be to to take on that challenge and to be successful so what i would do is i would ask my husband what has he always wanted to do and then i'd ask him hey do you want to go to dinner you know just you and me no kids and just talk about that brainstorm about i really want to hear more about your idea even if i don't agree with it cuz there might be something that i'm missing right Just because I don't see the, the vision doesn't mean I can't awaken to it, right? So then you can use it as a date night, and then you will learn so much about each other, and you'll get to be alone with each other. So no, number one, it will strengthen your marriage. It will strengthen your relationship. You get a date night without the kids, and the kids don't care. They're not going to be like, oh, Mommy and Daddy went to Chili's or somewhere without us. No, they could care less. Just send them over to some friend's house or something. or have have your friends send them to an amusement park or something like just kids are kids they're very resilient you know they they don't need to have takeout every night if anything that's probably very unhealthy for them but anyway you'll have a date night with your spouse and you'll get to talk about things that you probably never knew about your spouse and here's another thing you'll have a business opportunity that's great that's great And then you know, let's say for example, it starts out just part-time. That's great. Then it could eventually turn into a multi-million dollar company. And what's even better is not only do you get to provide for your family, you get to provide for other people because you are employing hundreds if not thousands of other people. So then you're helping to provide for other people's families. See, if all you ever do is focus on, "Oh, we got to do this for the kids." Guess what? You are narrowing your mindset. You are narrowing your vision. Don't do it for the kids. Do it for yourself. Focus on your hopes and your dreams because if you never fulfill your hopes and your and your dreams, what example are you setting for your kids? You're saying that once you have kids, you you basically don't amount to anything, which is not true. We are always amounting to something in our lives. So why not amount to something that you actually love and enjoy and appreciate? Here's another thing. When you're doing what you love, you you won't be depressed. 
You won't be sad and miserable. I mean, you might have some stressful moments that that comes along with any job or any industry or any company, but when when you know why you're doing something, let me put this way, when you know the why and you believe in the why, the stress isn't that bad because you believe in yourself and you believe in your future and in your personal opportunity. And then as that grows, you're able to help other people realize their potential. Because we care about people, not just the few. I hope that makes sense. But that's how I look at all of this. Are there things that disappoint me in life? Yes. But I turn those disappointments into positive moments. I don't go, oh, I've got another challenge. Here we go again. No, I say, oh, I've got a challenge. I, I bet I can. I bet I can totally accomplish this. I can defeat this. I can do really well. You know, you have to really have that go-getter attitude. So again, if you're married and you're listening to this, I think you should learn more about I think you should learn more about your spouse and have a wonderful evening together. I really do, without the kids. Cuz guess what? If the kids are there, you you're not really connecting with your spouse at dinner. It's and I I see that all the time and it breaks my heart cuz I'm like this is why marriages are failing. This is why divorce rates are almost as high as 50% in the United States. It's because couples they're not being couples anymore, especially when they have kids. Kids are beautiful and wonderful, but they are not the be all in all. Like you you really need to focus on your hopes and your dreams and set the example for your children of what they should be striving for when they become adults. That that's what it means to be an adult. You don't sacrifice your future for someone else. You go for it. You you achieve what is in your future. So that way you can help lift other people up along the way. I think sometimes we oversacrifice and then we we realize we're miserable and then we're not going where we need to be going. And and it's it really is our own fault when we do things like that. Like just because you're married 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, however old you are, That doesn't mean your life stops. It means it's just beginning at any and every age. I think sometimes we think of marriage as, "Oh, well, I'm going to get married, settle down, you know, not really strive for as much." No. Don't do that. Strive for something new every year. I think that would be great. Cuz It feels good to accomplish things and we should be accomplishing things. Cuz number 1, that's what God wants for us and number 2, that that's what the people in our lives should want for us. And number 3, that's what our country wants for us. We should be accomplishing things. That that's just part of being human is to want to be successful. You have that drive to do the impossible. That's great. Just because something looks impossible, that doesn't mean that it is. It just means that it has your attention. 
But anyway, I will go ahead and close this podcast. The next one we will be taking a look at will be, let me go to my list, International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, Moving Picture Technicians, Artists and Allied Crafts of the United States, its territories in Canada. That sounds familiar. So we might be doing that one or the International Association of Bridge Structural Ornamental and Reinforcing Iron Workers. That also sounds familiar. Some of these might be repeats. I will double check my list. I bet the reason why it sounds familiar is because they have merged. That might be why. But anyway, until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy and whole and that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Still